I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that as we study your word, Father, this morning, that you would provoke us, that you would give us a supernatural revelation from the Holy Spirit of what it is that you want us to understand, what you've done to us, what you've brought us into, Father, as it concerns the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bless us with a spiritual anointing and understanding of your word and of your truth. We need the revelation of this, Father, to understand it as much as these apostles needed your revelation to write it. And I pray that you do help us. I thank you that you are here to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 15, we've been talking for a few weeks now about the new man, and so we're going to continue this. The new man is the church of Jesus Christ, and so we're going to go into a a little bit more understanding of that today. And so something happened when Jesus came to earth and he died a sacrificial death, and then he rose again from the dead on the third day. And what took place was, is there was a new creature that was created and left in the earth. Second Corinthians chapter five says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation and all things are passed away and all things are become new. Um, the Bible also says in first Corinthians 15 that we are a heavenly people. And so we're not just an earthly people now. And so there, there literally is a new race that is on the earth since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the people of God, the children of the Lord. We also call these people the church of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus is a new man that exists in the earth. He's not of the earth, but he's in the earth. Jesus said in John chapter 17 that you are no longer of the world, but you're in the world. And so there is this new creature, this new man that is walking in this earth. And that new man exists for one primary purpose that we're about to read about. And so in second or Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us in verse 15 that he has abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. <clears throat> and so what Jesus did is he abolished in his flesh the ordinances that were against us. This is the new covenant that Jesus has brought into the world. In order to bring the new covenant, to bring us into that, he had to fulfill the old covenant. In fulfilling the old covenant, he removed it from us. Colossians says that he nailed it to its, to his cross. That was a hindrance from us coming to God. Nobody is justified by the law. But we are only justified by grace through faith. That is the new covenant. It is not a new covenant of works. It is not a continuation of the old covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 says that the new covenant is brand new. It's not like the old covenant. It's not even according to the old covenant. And so for you to operate as the church or the new man in Jesus Christ... According even to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15, you have to believe he abolished that law. That he abolished that hindrance that kept you from God. And now you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. 
You have been made a king and a priest unto the Lord. You have access and favor with God. You walk in this earth with authority and power. But yet there are so many Christians that do not walk that way because though they believe in Jesus, they are still bound up in their minds by a system of works. And therefore, they don't feel good enough. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel like they have been holy enough in order to operate in the Holy Spirit or serve Jesus. And so that's where Moses comes in and he just hinders the people of God from doing or being what God wants them to be. So we have to believe that Jesus has abolished in his flesh those ordinances and those commandments. He's done away with the old covenant and he's brought in a new covenant. And when he did this, he was at that point able to receive and gain in the earth a new man. It was through his death, his resurrection and his new covenant that Jesus Christ was able to do away with the enmity that existed between Jews and Gentiles and God. That has always existed there, but it is only through Jesus and his blood that peace has been established. So you have to believe if you're going to be this new man, you have to believe that you are at peace with God and God is at peace with you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He's not looking for a way to get you or to bring judgment upon you. But you walk in a state of favor with God. If the church is to operate, we have to believe that. And then he says in in verse 17 or verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And that enmity was our sin, our flesh. And he came and he preached peace to you. Which were far off and to them which were nearer. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners. Praise God. But you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone In whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And that is, if we could say it, one of the main purposes of the church of Jesus Christ. Is that we might be built up together stone upon stone as a holy temple for the Holy Spirit to inhabit us. And the Holy Spirit wants to inhabit us that he would be able to continue the works of Jesus Christ. And he would be able to exalt Jesus in our generation today. And so that is one of our grand purposes. Not for me by myself To be the habitation of the Holy Spirit, though I am his temple, but it is for us collectively together to be brought together as a holy temple in whom the Holy Spirit inhabits. And so that is very important. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want you to see this quickly. He says in verse 9, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. 
Listen, guys, it is the fellowship of the mystery that reveals the wisdom of God. It is not your salvation as an individual that does it. It is the collective fellowship of all of those that are born again and operating through the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to demonstrate the wisdom of God in the earth. And so this is very important for us to grasp, but I would say a lot of believers have not grasped this reality. It is the fellowship of the church that demonstrates the wisdom of God. And we have to understand it. It's not our programs. It's not our outreaches. It's not our evangelistic things. It is the fellowship of the body. And he tells us in chapter 4 what this is. Verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so he says, don't walk anymore like the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having your understanding darkened and alienated from the life of God through ignorance. And so this is the prayer of Paul. I don't want you to live like Gentiles anymore. I don't want you to walk in ignorance anymore. Don't have your understanding darkened. So listen to me. Look at me for just one second. There is a possibility for you as a believer to not understand this. There is a possibility for you as a believer to have your understanding darkened so that you cannot see what he was just talking about. And when you don't understand it, then you are alienated from that life. And you begin to operate like a Gentile would operate who doesn't have a relationship really with the life of God. And there are numbers of believers that might be in this particular state. And though you have the possibility, there's the very real possibility that you do not understand. There is also the great possibility that you can understand because Ephesians 3 tells us that the means of understanding this is the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. You don't get this in a class. You're not going to get it because I'm talking to you. Because I'm opening up these scriptures and I'm even telling you about this doesn't mean you get it. You have to have, according to Ephesians 3, the revelation of the Holy Spirit revealing it to you, not in your brain, not in your intellect, but in your inner man. That's where you've got to understand this, or we lack the capacity to operate with the life of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And so we find ourselves alienated from that because we don't understand And there's multitudes that don't understand. America's going to hell because there are millions of believers in America that don't understand this. Therefore, the church is not accomplishing what God wants it to accomplish in demonstrating his wisdom because the church is not fellowshipping. And it's not a meal. And it's not an ice cream social. That means we fellowship. It is something grander than that. 
And I'm so thankful that God would allow us to be a part of his body at all. This is absolutely tremendous. And so the church is to be the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can continue the works of Jesus Christ. And the means of that is through fellowship. This fellowship is expressed in many ways in the New Testament. It is expressed through prayer meetings. It is expressed through people being led by the Holy Spirit and moved by the Holy Spirit to help one another, to operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, these charismatic gifts of grace that come to us, not because we've earned them, but because God has given them to us. It is this fellowship, the the ability to call upon the body of Christ and say, help me. And you actually help. You actually do something. Like when you have an opportunity to give, when you have an opportunity to pray, when when the Holy Spirit calls the body of Christ to a, a time of intercessory prayer for our state so that the wisdom of God can be seen, we actually do it. We're called to that. I want, I want to share this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I, I, I've shared this with you before, but here's the appeal of the Holy Spirit to his body. In just one scripture, this is just one example. And he says in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not the faith. Now that's beautiful, right? But here's the condition. Listen, listen, this is the fellowship. This is the condition. The Holy Spirit through Paul is asking for prayer. He's asking for prayer that the word of God can run its circuit in the earth. We would think, well... If God wants his word to go into the world, God's word's going to go into the world and nobody's going to stop it. So how do we really seriously pray about that? How do we really believe? Well, Paul said this, there are unreasonable and wicked men who do not have faith. They hinder us. And so we need the body of Christ to fellowship with us. So that we can be delivered from these unreasonable and wicked men. And without hindrance, we can preach the word of God. It can run its circuit and nations can be converted to Jesus Christ. And perhaps, maybe that's why in India it's full of Hinduism. And maybe that's why in Iran or in Iraq it is full of Islam. And maybe that's why China is overrun with communism or North Korea has failed to be reached with the salvation and the liberty that has come to Jesus Christ. Because maybe there was a missionary going there. Maybe there was a preacher going there. Maybe an evangelist was going there, but he had nobody fellowshipping with him in prayer. And he was confronted with unreasonable and wicked people who hindered that gospel from coming. But maybe Iran would be a Christian nation today. If we would fellowship, but we don't understand that. And therefore we do not, we, do, we can't take it seriously and the life of God can't affect us. Just examine your own life this coming week. What you give yourself to. How much you give yourself, you want to say you give yourself to God. 
And that's great. Give yourself to God. But how do you measure that you've given yourself to God? Well, I've, I prayed an hour a day. Uh, I read my Bible for 30 minutes and studied for an hour and 45 minutes. And so I gave myself to God. Well, the Pharisees did that better than us. But they didn't give themselves to God. What is it, what is it that moves you? And when that moves you, how does it move you? And I will guarantee you this. If the Spirit of Christ who has come into this world to glorify Christ has composed for himself a people, according to Ephesians 4, liken it to a human body, then I can promise you the Holy Spirit inside of you is pressing you and pressing you and pressing you to fellowship. With the body of Christ. How can you say you love God whom you haven't seen. If you don't love the body that you do see. Or the brothers that you see. Anybody can go around and say oh I love God. I love God. Great. How do you measure that? By how my desire to care for you affects me. By my desire to be with you. By my longing to be with you. It is this longing. I had every right to stay home Wednesday night. Every right. Been in Peru, preached two times a day, every day. Our flight is delayed until three in the morning Wednesday. We have an eight-hour flight to Houston. We've got to go through customs, go through all of these things, and then try to catch a flight into Baton Rouge. Delays, headaches everywhere. Finally get our flight to Baton Rouge, and everything in me is longing to be with you. I, I believe that's the spirit of... I had every right to sleep. I had every right to stay home, but there was something else inside of me pushing me to be with you. I didn't have to do that. Very few people would have judged me had I not come. But I wanted to come. That's the fellowship. I want to read this to you. These are, the, the, as I come into this, these are some things that I want us to understand A Christian, if I could say it this way, listen to me, because that's the vernacular that's so popular today, a Christian or Christianity. If you would just see it in this way, a Christian is someone individualistic. A Christian is an individual. A Christian is somebody who operates in such a way that their relationship with God is basically out of self-interest. For example, a Christian goes to a church and says, what do you have for me? And how are you going to take care of me? And if you don't do what I like or do what I want, I'm out of here. Christians like that. A Christian is concerned with their own progress. A Christian is concerned with how they pray, how they read the Bible, how they may attend church, or how they may give of their offerings. But in in the basic way, a Christian is just somebody who's an individual, and they've got this individual walk with God. And I care about you, but I'm not burdened about you. But a, a member of the body is different. Because a member does not walk around as an individual. But a member is someone who knows I'm something corporate. I'm a part of something 
that's eternal and greater than me. And greater than anything I could ever spend my time doing. A member acts for the good of the body. Always with the body in mind. The body's first, even before their own life. The body is first. That's what Jesus died to have. It treasures the body. Even with all of its imperfections, it treasures the body. And it honors all others before themselves. That's a member of the body of Christ. How many of you are Christians? And how many of you are members? I'm not talking about members of f and I'm just talking about members of the body of Christ where you realize you're something corporate. Uh, let me read you some scriptures that Paul wrote. And I'm just going to read them to you for the sake of time because you may have a hard time turning there and following me. But you can write them down. Philippians 1, 7 through 8. The apostle said, even it is meet for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you, long after all of you in the bowels or the compassions of Jesus Christ. Now I say I want to get there. I, I, I want to grow in my love and affection for Jesus that my love and affection for you can grow to that degree. But here's Paul saying that this is for all of you. And he said, everything that is going on in me is so that you can have my grace. All of my suffering, Paul would say, is so you can have my grace. I'm doing it for you. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Paul said this. Beside those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So he's talking about I've been beat with rods, I've floated in the ocean, I've been hungry, I've been naked, I've been exposed to the heat, I've been exposed to the cold, I've been in prison, I'm in danger with my people, danger with strangers, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in my journey, all of these things. But you know what gets me the most? The care of the church. Think about that. Everything that's going on in Paul's life, he never turns it into a selfish thing, but it's always the church, the church, the church, the church. When you're going through suffering, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? When you're hurting, when you're dealing with discouragement, you're dealing with depression, you're dealing with defeat, you're dealing with the enemy, you're dealing with satanic attack, what are you thinking about? If you were to ask Paul, what are you thinking about, Paul? The church. The church, the church, the church, the church, because everything about my life and my future and my well-being and my victory has to do with the church. Everything was that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul says this, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. This is what he's saying to the church at Philippi. If there's any way you can comfort me. If there's any way that you can comfort my love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if, if there's any way that you can describe that you have hearts of mercy for one another, then fulfill this joy of mine. Be like-minded. 
Be like-minded. There you go. A Christian will not be like-minded, but a member will. They will. Have the same love. Be of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let everyone esteem others as better than themselves. And don't look upon what you simply need, but look upon the needs of other people. Now, if you really want to comfort me, make me happy, let me be excited about your love. You want to talk to me about your fellowship in the spirit, then talk to me about that. That's that's it. That's where it's at right there. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, you might be there. You could look at it. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8, but we were gentle among you. Even as a nurse cherishes her children, so being affectionately desirous of you. I love these words that Paul uses. The bowels of Christ. Affectionately desirous of you. Wow, isn't that great? Wouldn't you you want to go to church and know that everybody that's coming to church today is affectionately desiring you? And you are affectionately desiring everybody else. And so what happens when the true church comes that way and we're not there? And all of their desire. I I just want, I I remember not long ago when Wendy and Evan went through that hardship with Marshall and Wendy just told, I've, I've never heard anything like this before, but his life was taken on Friday. She's in church Sunday. And she just said, I know that the people love me and want to have the opportunity to comfort me. I want to be here with them. That's amazing. It's just absolutely, that attitude is absolutely amazing. Oh, I'm all right. That's what we do. Oh, I'm all right. Everything like this. Or we would have a, a wall built around us by an attitude. But, you know, Wendy was just there like, I'm accessible. Come to me. Just I know, I know y'all want to love me. I know you want to pray for me. I know, I know you want to comfort me. That's just in, absolutely supernatural. I want that in my life. And so he says, we were so affectionately desirous of you. Listen to this. We were willing to have imparted to you not only the gospel of God, but our own soul. Because you were dear to us. That is a person who has the understanding of the church. Not just a Christian. That's a person who has the understanding of the church. That I so affectionately desire you. That I'm not just interested in giving you the word of God today. I'll give you my soul. That's incredible guys. This was the attitude of the church in the first century. That turned the world upside down. Let the Holy Ghost revive the church today. Do this again. This this would do more for the world than if every one of us went out to the LSU lakes and walked on water and everybody saw us. Because we probably won't go back the next day and walk on water and everybody at LSU will be bored with us. 
Or maybe they'd come to our church and see how we judge each other and how we walk on eggshells and, and how we don't really love each other. And so now they're turned away. But man, if they could see the body of Christ with an affectionate desire, I'll give you my soul. I mean, I'll put everything into this for you. Absolutely incredible. And then if I have to move on, 1 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13 says, listen to this, night and day praying exceedingly that I might see your face. Come on, guys. From, from Thursday through Saturday night, are you praying exceedingly just to see everybody's face on Sunday? I mean, let it penetrate. Let it penetrate us. And not only do I want to see your face, but I want to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. I, I don't want to come and be around you and point out, oh, you got this wrong and you got that wrong and you lack this. No, but I long to be with you. And I'm so excited because I know God lives in me. And like the body nurtures itself through the blood. I know the Holy Spirit's going to move through me to nurture you. And it's going to help you grow a little bit more because I'm just going to minister to you. I'm just going to be there to minister. And sometimes you don't even know how you're ministering, but God does it. Now, God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do to you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Ephesians 1, 15 through 16 says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love to the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Ephesians three fourteen says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you. For you. When, when you are... Under a revelation of the body of Christ, this temple of God that the Holy Spirit inhabits, this corporate fellowship that demonstrates the wisdom of God, then you begin to understand everything is bigger. Everything is more significant. There's, there's no little matter. It wasn't that Pastor Lee went to Peru. The entire church went to Peru. Everything happened to everyone, even my suffering. It's not so much I'm suffering. I'm going through now even suffering and hardship and, and, and dealing with this world and dealing with the devil takes on a whole new realm of living. And it's actually exciting that will cause you to leap for joy. Why? Because everything that's happening is for you. That means God is doing something supernatural in the conflict that's going to end in victory and grace for your life. Some of the hardest things I ever went through in my life. Many times tempted to want to die, to kill myself. God would prevail with his grace and I would just be able to give grace to the church. And now I'm able to give grace to thousands through this. Everything I went through was for grace for you. Everything I go through in my life, I want it to be for you. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 3, 14. 
So don't faint at my tribulations. Don't feel bad for me. It's all for you, which is your glory. And for this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would give you this wisdom, that you would understand this. Because if you don't understand it, then you're just a Christian having a fight. You're just a Christian having a battle. You're just a Christian going through a season. But if you're a member, then I'm of something so extremely important and eternal that there is no little thing I go through or great thing that I go through. It's all for the church and all for his glory. Everything. And so Colossians 1.3 says, We give thanks to God and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And I want to read this last one in 2 Corinthians 4. And I'd like for you to turn there with me. And Carl, if you want to come up. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul deals with suffering. All right? And it, and it doesn't mean that the suffering we, we deal with is not real. But please listen to this. I'm talking about Having the revelation of being a member of something corporate. And my life is not my own. It's not an individual matter. But it's a corporate matter. And Paul says this. He, he says in, in verse 6. Or, or, well, verse 7 he says this. That there's a power of God that is inside of these earthen vessels. This treasure that's in earthen vessels. So, so Paul is saying, and he had the revelation of it. We, we could teach this and we would all say, amen. But Paul actually believed it. He knew it by revelation that there is an actual treasure inside of me. Inside of this earthen vessel of clay is what he's saying in verse 7. Okay, so... If there's a treasure inside of you, and obviously if it's a treasure, then it's profitable, correct? It's of value, correct? So if there is this something inside of me that has value and worth, then I don't want it to remain inside of me. How do I get it out so that people and others can profit from this valuable thing that is inside of me? And it's brokenness. It's broken. And and when you understand that, you'll never see brokenness again like we've seen it before. You'll never see yourself as a victim. Ever again, if you can see this by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, read it with me. Verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. So there's very real trouble. It's everywhere. He's, he's surrounded with it. He's persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. He's cast down. He, the devil knocked him down. You feel this. This is real, but I'm not destroyed. Now, here's the answer, if you want it. And you're not going to get it unless you let the Holy Spirit teach you this. Always bearing about in the body 
the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus, which is the treasure, might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. We which live are always, always delivered unto death. Why? For Jesus' sake. Why? How does this help Jesus? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. You'll never see suffering again the same. If you have this revelation. So then death works in us. But life in you. And many of us. As I have done. Many many times. God I want out. I don't like suffering. I don't like persecution. I don't like hardship. Until you begin to know grace. And he says this. We have the same spirit of faith. According as it is written. I believed and therefore I've spoken. And also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Now, this is really good what he's about to say. For all things are for your sakes. It's all for you. I do not live for myself. I can't. I'm not a Christian. I'm the church. So all things are for your sake. The persecution, the suffering, the struggles. So that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many down to the glory of God and it is because of this cause I don't faint because I know it's for you I don't faint the pain strikes us it's very real the battles are real we fight them the depression the discouragement the despair the not wanting to live but we don't faint because we understand the cause I have a treasure inside of me. It does no good to anybody if it can't come out. And the way God's going to get it out is through brokenness. However God chooses to do that. But the whole point of it is for you. For your sake. That you might have access to grace. And if this is my cause in life, I will not faint. I look at Angie. How many times has she inspired me? Congratulations. She's retiring this month. All she's been through, the battle with cancer, chemotherapy treatments, weakness, Paul, his mother, needing help constantly fell. She has to have surgery today. He's carrying both of these women that he loves so much. And just go and say hello to them. And they're the happiest people you'll ever meet. 
and Angie is such an inspiration. You have poured out to me an abundance of grace that has helped me live. It's been a treasure to me reading things you've, you've written, watching you, seeing you in this altar, probably having every bit of difficulty you could possibly imagine just to stand up. But you stand in that altar and you give praise and sing to God. It's incredible. It's not in vain. Thank you for not feigning. Thank you for not feigning. I, 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 I just appreciate everyone. And I ask you, please, as we close, pray for the revelation. Pray for the revelation. Because you're going to suffer, whether you like it or not. Whether you have the revelation or not. But sure better to suffer with a purpose that's glorious. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would help us to understand your ways and your truth. And to be able to appreciate and understand the body of Christ. And how beautiful it is and what you brought us into. And we would be a part of something that's collective and corporate and glorious. And so there's nothing that just happens to us by coincidence. It's all part of your